views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Thank you, man. You can't handle the truth. The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. time with pastor monty a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture at the top of the show today let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show and for all of you on youtube hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows the truth time with pastor monty broadcast is a part of the Lafayette bible fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the vrn if you're interested in this ministry or our other shows you can check us out at where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ADF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ADF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. This is Pastor Monty, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh, and we're going to be discussing some, uh, some of what's going on in the world around us today and try to bring some clarification to a somewhat confusing um, atmosphere which is out there for the church. Um, we're doing this this morning, uh, Saturday, 9 o'clock. Uh, normally what we would be doing is we would be doing cultural insanity. Um, but um, Josh is going to be gone uh, on Tuesday and so we were not going to have a truth time on Tuesday. So we uh, thought that it might be a good idea to, uh, particularly with what's going on in the world today, uh, see if we can clarify some things, um, both from a historical standpoint and from a biblical standpoint uh, in regard to uh, prophecy and, and the end times and the things that we see happening today. So that's kind of where we're at. And we will take uh, up to an hour, but not over an hour, um, and just uh, discuss uh, different things which are happening. So you want to add anything? Well, just <coughs> there's not a lot going on in terms of uh, pop culture, which is what culture insanity deals with. And But, you know, everybody's talking about this whole thing with Russia. We touched on it earlier uh, this week, right? We yes. touched on it earlier this week in Truth Time. I think that was episode 5-5, five five if you uh, want to look it up, or the last episode. Um, so we thought... It would be appropriate, since there's not a lot going on in pop culture right now, uh, let's save our commentary for something that is happening uh, real time. So, yeah, um, Pastor Monty had mentioned the last episode uh, about Gog and Magog and Russia and to keep your eye on it. Now Russia has actually invaded uh, the Ukraine and... So we thought we would take a moment to unpack that a little more than we can unpack in a 15-minute um, segment, which is what we would normally be devoting to that time. And we're not always great at staying in the 15-minute limit, but <laughs> um, yeah. 
So we wanted to take a look at the scriptures that are appropriate for it, um, that people maybe are quoting or using. We wanted to take a moment to uh, talk about how we should be looking at the scriptures properly uh, and then to admonish the church on what we can do with that. So if that takes you know, less than an hour, then it'll take less than an hour. So uh, we're not going to be doing the normal format where we do a what's up with that or uh, I guess you could call this a very long uh, – man, I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> I can't hear you. Intern Tiffany's trying to tell me what it's called. Here's my take. Is that what it was? Yeah. All right, something like that. Here's my take. Um, <coughs> yeah, so uh, you could call it a very long that if you want to. Uh, but, yeah, so there you go. That's what we're doing today. Okay, so there there are many that, that um, unless you're old like me, there are many that just see um, the whole thing with Russia invading Ukraine as kind of weird and and not understanding the context from which we're we're coming from. So as as biblical people, as disciples of Christ, what we look at is we always try to look at things within the context of what scripture uh, gives us an indication of to be aware of. So scripture does tell us that um, that Christ is returning. And he does tell us that uh, that there are um, there is an allusion to uh, events that will have to take place prior to Christ's coming. And there's a lot of speculation as to what those are specifically, but there's a general understanding which is out there. So prior to 1948, so after, after the Jews were uh, destroyed by Rome and dispersed into the, into the world, after the nation of Israel was after destroyed. After the nation of Israel, after the nation of Israel was destroyed and dispersed into the world, um, there was some feeling that the uh, that Israel would never exist again. But Scripture was very clear that it would, and that took place in 1948, when after the Holocaust, which, yes, really did happen. There are those out there who say that it didn't, but it did. And, and after the Holocaust and the, the mass uh, attempt at extermination of those of Jewish heritage, the, the, the nations after World War II came together under the United Nations. Uh, first it was the League of Nations, and then uh, that really didn't work very well, and so the United Nations was formed. And the United Nations put together a a a agreement to allow the state of Israel to be born again. I have a, and it came about in 1948, and we won't go into the Palestinian issue and all of that, except to say that since its existence in 1948, Israel has constantly been under attack, and yet it is still exists today. There was uh, later the uh, Seven Day War. Uh, where much land was taken and held by Israel, and today is held by Israel. The gold after they were after they were invaded. After they were invaded by the surrounding nations, Egypt and and the Syria and the surrounding nations, 
they kicked ass and uh, took the Golan Heights and several areas, and, and they still possess that today. So, there's, so Israel is basically surrounded by countries which are hostile to it. And, and uh, Russia, uh, the, 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 uh, the former uh, Russia, which is the USSR, the, the USSR uh, a conglomerations of, uh, of uh, nations uh, put together under, this, under the uh, Moscow with a centralized communist government, basically is, uh, it helps out often those countries which uh, surround Israel in order, to, um, in order to cause chaos and to seek their destruction. And you can find elements of that, for example, in their contributions to uh, um, military armaments and what have you to, uh, to Syria, for example. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so in 1991, um, after after the Berlin Wall fell, and, and so the Berlin Wall existed because in World War II, um, the Allied powers, in order to overthrow Hitler, joined forces with Russia, uh, in even though they were they were communist we joined forces with russia in order to be able to overthrow hitler in germany and when when world war 2 ended and germany was was uh, overthrown um, berlin the the capital of russia or capital of germany was divided into two between uh, the west and the east, and the eastern Berlin was was uh, held by uh, communist Russia, and the western Berlin was uh, the United States and the Allied powers, United States, Britain, etc. So, so eventually, what happened was was this divide exists because they built a wall. They built a wall in order to keep East Berliners in <laughs> East, East Berlin, in communist-controlled East Berlin. And the communists then uh, controlled that and everything to the East. And uh, they weren't keeping people out. They were keeping people in. People wanted to escape communism, but they couldn't. President Reagan, during his administration, went over and famously said, uh, tear this wall down, and the wall in Berlin came down, and the USSR uh, fell apart as as uh, as um, it as it was. So that in 1991, an agreement was struck with uh, Russia and its uh, uh, the USSR rather and its uh, member nations to allow for succession from the USSR and to set up individuals. uh, Several wanted to set up individual uh, states. And so, as we would understand them, states. And so so there were 15 15 groupings of people that seceded. And so I won't go into 
all of them, but we're talking about, uh, you know, Kazakhstan and, and, um, and Uzbekistan and, and the Ukraine is one of those that, that, uh, that seceded and wanted to set up a separate style of communi- uh, government rather than communism. And so some of those nations have been allowed to join the United Nations and NATO because NATO was formed by the United Nations as a peacekeeping force to stop USSR from expanding militarily throughout Europe. And so in 1991, when all of these nations then seceded from the USSR, it basically broke uh, Russia apart, and there now becomes Russia with these former countries which were present. Why is all of that history important? All of that history is important because what you need to understand is that what we're seeing happening today is that there are hardliners in Russia and have always been hardliners in Moscow that were not in favor of the USSR allowing those nations to secede. And so there are, in, in, in when the former USSR broke apart, um, people knew that there was a group of um, enforcers within the USSR, which were called the KGB, and the KGB basically were enforcers for, for Moscow's policies amongst its own people. And, and the KGB broke apart as well, and a new uh, service was, was put into place. Vladimir Putin was a high-ranking KGB official in the USSR. And he was not in favor of the USSR allowing secession. And in in 2007, I believe, in 2007, when when Vladimir Putin began to uh, to garner a political career, he made it very clear that his intention was to rebuild the former USSR to its to, to its former glory and to take those nations that had seceded back into the fold of uh, Moscow. Vladimir Putin uh, declared three years ago or four years ago that he is president for life. And it is still his intention to build up the former USSR. Uh, to the way that it was prior to 1991. What we see happening now, this is just a historical background so you understand, what we see happening now is that Vladimir Putin is in his 70s and doesn't know how much longer he has to live. He's in his 70s? Yeah, he's in his 70s. He looks good. Yeah, he does. Um, But he doesn't know how much longer he has to live and he wants to fulfill his legacy that he believes is to reconstruct Russia back into the former USSR. And so the way that he has done that is that he has decided that he is going to 
target the Ukraine as one region that he can begin this process of trying to to do that. Why? Because when the when Ukraine separated and began to form its own government, it struggled with uh, the true elements of democracy, and so there was still lots of corruption. So when you had the Ukraine uh, starting to want to become a member of NATO in order to get protection from NATO, NATO said that it wouldn't because there was still too much corruption. So the other Baltic uh, sea uh, regions um, like Kazakhstan and those they are a part of NATO but um, but but not but they don't have the so they're protected where the Ukraine is not this has always been Vladimir Putin's dream to reconstruct things his first attempt at trying this was under the Obama administration and under the Obama administration, Russia made, Vladimir Putin made incursions into the Ukraine, separating the Crimean region. And he waited to see what the world would do. And Obama, President Obama and Vice President Biden did nothing. Absolutely nothing. So that gave Putin the, the uh, clear message that he could push things as far as he could and get away with it without anybody challenging him. Now we have President Trump come into office. Vladimir Putin was afraid of President Trump and found him to be unpredictable, and so he held off from doing anything. Why is he moving now? because he's getting older, he wants to see the fulfillment of his legacy, and the Ukraine is not a part of NATO. And therefore, he's trying to uh, retake uh, the Ukraine with his military offensive. He doesn't want to try to push any of the nations which are under the NATO alliance because of Article 5 of the NATO alliance which basically says that the, ally, the, the countries in NATO and the allied forces with that, including Germany, England, the United States, would all fight together against that type of expansion. And so he doesn't want to do that. That's why he's picking on the Ukraine right now. That's a broad history. What, Okay, so any, any questions before we move on from there? Oh, well, just the main question, which is, why does this matter? That's a great question. There are many and specifically to Christians. Yeah, there, there are many Americans, there are many believers who ask that exact question. Why does it matter? Well, I, uh, well, I want to point out, from a worldview, not a worldview, but from a world, like a global perspective, of course it matters. There's going to be even if even if a war that um, weird getting a group call okay even if a war that never touches us happens over there it doesn't touch us directly right there's going to be a trickle down effect regardless and, um, the, and the trickle down and by effect, us I mean America the trickle down effect predominantly has to do with energy 
and the way that the world consumes energy. Sure. Well, we're we're a global we're a globalized world now. So it, it, there's no such thing as it not affecting us from just a um, from just a practical standpoint, completely removed of emotion. Then you have the fact that these are image bearers of God. Then you have the fact that there is a church that is vital and um, <clears throat> and has been being persecuted for years and so on and so forth. Uh, that is taking place over there, so we need to be praying for them. There's a lot of ways that this should affect us, but just just stepping back from their borders versus our borders uh, and um, and everything political and everything utilitarian that's going on, how does it affect us as Christians? First of all, as believers, Josh hits on the point, which is very important to understand, that in... In the Ukraine, there is a live and active um, church, mm-hmm. and that and that there are many Christians there that are having their lives um, torn apart, and we should be praying for them. We should be praying that God would intervene and have mercy. Because remember, you know, Russia is communist; they don't believe in God, and they persecute those who do. So that's the first thing. We should pray for them. We should pray for God's mercy upon them. But the broader picture is to understand the dynamic change which is taking place in overall the world and not just segments as we sometimes do and tend to compartmentalize. The, um, if, if, if Vladimir Putin is able to extend his, his uh, reach and try to bring the former Soviet Union back into the place that it was, what he's looking for is, uh, is world influence uh, from a military standpoint. And so they, they are still involved with Syria they are still involved with uh, Iran and Iraq. And, and uh, the, remember, these nations don't want Israel to exist. And they take open steps to try to uh, thwart Israel. So the, the nuclear technology that Russia has, uh, much of that technology has been... Uh, the development of it for um, Iran has been uh, has been pushed to the point that they are helping them develop a nuclear weapon. Now, Iran has already stated that if it gets a nuclear weapon, it will destroy the great Satan, which is the United States, and it will destroy Israel. These and, and so thrown into that then is also China and is also uh, North Korea because North Korea also supplements heavenly uh, the development uh, of a wanting to develop a nuclear weapon and they supply uh, a help to uh, Iran to be able to do the same thing. So we have set before us the very real possibility 
of these nations that surround Israel that are intent upon Israel's destruction um, getting closer to be able to pull that off. As we see these things happening, what it will mean is that um, the very likelihood that if, if uh, I don't, I don't, I, for, I don't foresee anything happening just from a geopolitical standpoint. If Russia continues to uh, try to take over uh, Ukraine, what is what is happening today, though, is that he's not. He he thought he would be able just to walk in and 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 take it over, and he's finding out that he's that's not necessarily happening. Yeah. So Ukraine is fighting back, and they're still. At least the last I saw, they're still able to hold their capital and stuff. Yes, and part of the and part <laughs> of the reason why they're able to hold back is while President Obama just provided warm blankets to them, um, President Trump uh, provided uh, heavy artillery missiles, Stinger missiles, and and uh, and missiles to take down uh, uh, tanks and and airplanes and what have you. And then uh, President Biden, at least, uh, has not uh, has not stopped that. So we have provided them with heavy armaments, so that Russia is just not able to walk in and do what they want to do. So they're they're trying hard, but the the, the Ukrainian people are fighting back. That being said, what could easily drive us into World War Three? is if Russia decides to try to take back any of the countries which are then now uh, part of NATO. Right. Because then Article 5 kicks in, and the United States... And a and, bunch of other places. And a bunch of other places are obligated to, um, to take military action uh, against uh, Russia. And, and what Putin has said just, just last week, what Putin basically did was made a, a threat, which basically said, if anybody attacks us, uh, there will be um, a major consequence. And that is interpreted by most analysts to be that he's making a nuclear threat. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's quite volatile what's going on in that region today. And as believers, we need to see it from a couple standpoints. We've already mentioned the fact that that um, we should be praying for these people over there um, because uh, because they're being persecuted heavily. We should also be mindful that that Scripture talks about the fact that that there is going to be some uh, aggression in order to seek to is destroy Israel. And that God will intervene. Now, this is where we get into the. Well, yeah. So let's <coughs> let's <coughs> excuse me. Wow, let's transition from yeah, so let's talking go. about history and politics, and right. let's now move into what some people are positing as not just a possible World War Three, but as a fulfillment of prophecy. So, what are people saying? Okay, so. So historically, the belief has been by most commentators 
that certain entities represent certain, certain things in prophecy. Uh, for example, for example, uh, most commentators believe uh, that, uh, that the beast um, in Revelation, uh, the woman that rides the beast in Revelation is the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. Pretty widely held belief when looking at the book of Revelation. So we're looking... <coughs> Whether that's true or not, we don't know. So to be clear, that's Revelation 17? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. and there's a woman who rides a beast. The beast, there are several beasts in the book of Revelation, but the one we're talking about, I think, is the beast of the earth. Yes. That comes out of the earth, which is the beast in Revelations 13, and that beast is considered to be uh, what is commonly known but never referred to in in Revelation as the Antichrist. Right. So So there are certain things They like to say Rome is in cahoots uh, with the Antichrist. Yes, yes. And that may or may not be true. That being said, the so there's a there's a belief um, that based on that there are certain things that are taken for granted. And what has been taken for granted by many, uh, particularly recently, is that um, there's an allusion in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and 39, which talk about the the um, overriding uh, tribal area of Magog and the specific leader of that as Gog. So it's referred to as Gog and Magog. And it, it's a region that is that is over in the Caspian Sea, the Sea of Azor, that type of area. So we're talking about an area that currently is controlled by Russia or Turkey. So the and that's there's not a lot of argument as to that interpretation. Like we no. Gog and Magog was a place, and it is now basically Russia, kind of Turkey. Right, and, and and so what the discussion in Ezekiel is about is that the Gog and Magog, um, that is the ruler and the people of the ruled by the ruler, will attack Israel, and that God will intervene in that attack and destroy them. Right. So let me let me just read the passage so our listeners can kind of be aware. So. Um, this is a prophecy about Gog and the future invasion of Israel, starting in Ezekiel 38. Uh, <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. So this is, a, this is a prophecy against Gog and Magog on behalf of Israel as a nation of God. And say, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all of your army, horse and horsemen, all of them magnificently dressed, a great contingent with shield and buckler, all of them wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and Put with them, all of them with buckler and helmet, Gomer with all of its troops, Beth to Togarma from the remote parts of the north with all of its troops, many peoples with you. Be ready and be prepared, you and all of your contingents that are assembled around you. Be a guard for them. After many days, you will be summoned. In the latter years...
are having issues with our feed right now. It's interesting. Whenever we lose the feed <laughs> on uh, Facebook, it usually reestablishes. But on YouTube, we have an we have an issue with it. I don't know. It's weird. Although we are back, we are back online. So um, we're just continuing to read through this passage. And Pastor Monty brings up that point that it's not just it's not just Gog and Magog. It's basically a bunch of armies surrounding um, surrounding Israel. Essentially, right. right, and at that point, God will show His end, right? So that specifically, so that He can show essentially how much better, you know, how sovereign He is. Right, He's going to show up in that moment. Um, weird, my computer is also having issues. It's like we had like a, a a total like. We should like pray for protection for our broadcast. Uh, because it seems to me that you might be being harassed. Every, every time we try to, to help people understand these issues, uh, we have uh, technical issues. That's true. Uh, okay. So anyway, um, yeah, weird. I can't pull up the page that I'm looking at. Maybe I will try to reset it. O- okay. So let's. So while you're doing that, yeah. To further our discussion, so what we're what we're saying is this: is that we do know that from Scripture there are certain places where things are alluded to. Uh, Josh is reading in Ezekiel. There's a very quick mention of Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter 20. In, but but keep in mind that the the nature of prophecy within Scripture is that it's um, it's it's highly speculative. In that uh, there, you just don't have a a specific given to you, but you have to be able to interpret and understand it. For example, the um, the statue in the book of Daniel. Which one? The one where you have the breakdown of the different regions yeah. that that conquered that area. Right. And if you just look at that and didn't understand the breakdown of the different uh, nations that were going to rule up into the Roman Empire, um, it would it, it would not uh, be understandable to the average person. So when you look at, at prophecy, when you look at Scripture, you, you, and you're he's refer- referring specifically to Daniel chapter two. Yes. You're to, if you're not aware of the story that we're talking about, go in and read the book of Daniel. And then read, probably in most of your Bibles, you're going to have some commentary about what those break down to. Yeah. And essentially what it breaks down to is to the different, um, to the different uh, regions which are going to control uh, Babylon. And and it leads all it leads all the way up to the Roman Empire to essentially Christ. Yes, yeah. yeah. So so when you look at Scripture, you need to understand that that first of all, prophecy has a a highly speculative element to it, and and no nobody. Uh, I, I will just say this unequivocally. Some may disagree with me. We'll see. But but <laughs> but. <laughs> N- nobody has um, nobody has the the final take on what something means or doesn't mean in regard to prophecy and and timelines. 
In fact, Christ himself told us that he doesn't know the day or the hour of his imminent return. Uh, only the Father knows. Right. So nobody can definitely say God is going to return at this time in this place. Although there are groups of people throughout the years who have tried to do that. For example, Josh and I, prior to the broadcast, were talking about the Millerites, which turned into the Seventh-day Adventist movement who that tried to do the exact same thing. Um, so when you approach prophecy, you have to understand, first of all, that there is a speculative element to it, and different scholars have different views on how that's going to work itself through. Right. <clears throat> so why... Okay, so we have this obscure prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that people are connecting. Why is that important? Um, what, what, are, what other thing are people connecting it to? Well, it precipitates the second coming of Christ. Okay. So, so all of wanna, these things have to happen. Maybe you want to unpack that for a second. Well, all, all, all these things have to happen before Christ's return. So the sequential belief of what's going to happen prior to Christ returning is that there's going to be a, a uh, scheduled pattern of things which will take place. And even this is speculative to a degree. But, but we do know that, first of all, um, the, the world will uh, attack Israel. And, 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 and in that process, the, what we know from Revelation is that the belief is, is that the, the Antichrist will reveal himself as being a... So the world will be in chaos. A, a, an individual come, will come into being that seems to be so charismatic that he can calm the storm and he, and he sets up, as it were, some kind of a world government uh, in which he's able to calm everything down and put himself into a position of power so that he now controls everything. So you can find this in the book of Revelation after the letters section, yes, yes. Uh, really surrounding Revelation 13. Uh, that's kind of the that's kind of where this you know thirteen and on, and you'll find it talking about the beast who does these things, who sets up you know a shrine and uh, wages war against God's people and so on and so forth. You can also find it in Thessalonians. Uh, yeah. Which Thessalonians is it? I think it's Second Thessalonians. Um, <coughs> but it, but so so is so what will happen then is that this ruler, as it were will will uh, act as though he's a be with appeasement towards Israel, but in fact will um, will enter into the temple of Israel, which is representative of the house of God. He will enter into the Holy of Holies and he will set himself as if he is God. Right, which seems like something that is extreme, but is not really extreme if you think about the culture. You think about things like Christ consciousness, which is you know a progressive Christian movement that says that we are essentially Christ. Um, you think about you know uh, naturalistic reductionism. You think about atheism, saying that you know there is no God. Uh, that God is a construct of my own making. I am my own God. Is not a very far. Um, it's yeah. not a far leap 
New uh, Age movement philosophy. Yeah, the list goes on and on. So there's this concept. But what you should just think about in terms of the doability of this um, of this thing that's going to happen, this event that's going to happen, is just where the pulse of people's um, minds are in terms of organized religion. Organized religion kind of across the globe is being seen as this like terrible thing where... Um, you know, we can have Christianity non-organized. It needs to be a personal experience. You know, we can commune with God on a personal level. But when you have organized religion, organized religion is what causes all the chaos and the crime and the, the suffering in the world. So it's not a very far um, mark to turn around and say we shouldn't have any of these things. No, let's Let's get rid of this, you know, universal sense of morality and let's be our own little gods and and certainly you see that push america in particular like we've talked about before in regard to education american students have been being primed for this forever um so so yeah it's it's not it's not a hard push to to say that this could be a reality and we go back to the prophet um now daniel right and daniel also predicts this this beast that's going to um, come in and right. and uh, cause what is called in, in Daniel the abomination of desolation, where he sets himself up as not Daniel, but where this beast sets itself up as as God. So somehow this is connected to Gog and Magog. Right. So the well the the thing is then to understand is that in order for Christ to return, uh, the temple has to be rebuilt. Right, so that's another, and that's another aspect. So the so, and there are movements inside of Israel to rebuild the temple. By the way, this is not, oh yeah, this is not obscure theory. There are people who are actively trying to rebuild the temple and to reinstitute sacrifice, blood sacrifice, within the temple. Right. So there's a lot of things going on. Yes. Uh, and what, if I'm understanding what you're saying, is that. Gog and Magog and possibly Russia as being a fulfillment of of the character of Gog and Magog in scripture ushers in what people believe to be what we call the tribulation. Well, yeah, it 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 int, it ushers in the beginning of the period where we need to begin to watch for the return of Christ as being imminent. That's but that's this is the position that some people are taking right this now. This is the position that some people are taking, but but when you say the tribulation, you're again opening a can of worms and speculation because there are three, at least four <laughs> views in regard to what the tribulation represents. Well, in regard to what Christians experience the tribulation as. Okay, so what so the tribulation is a seven-year period. You're going to find this in the book of Revelation. It's a seven-year period that is marked by three and a half and three and a half. Yeah, by two three and a half periods. For those of you that are math geniuses, three and a half times two is seven. So, so, so and what, what we believe the period to be is a, a hard cut at three and a half. So three and a half leads up to the uh, the Antichrist establishing himself, 
and 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 then and then uh, the last three and a half represents his total um, rule, as it were, in regard to the world and particularly against uh, believers. So there are three approaches with, that are taken towards this. There is what's called pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. And for those of you who are Pastor Monty fans, uh, pan-trib. Well, so <laughs> okay, go ahead, deliver your joke. So, so pre-trib means that the church will be raptured prior to this seven-year period. The mid-trib holds that the church will be raptured in the middle of the seven-year period. So we will see the Antichrist begin to establish himself, but the church will be raptured at the three-and-a-half-year mark uh, and not subjected to the, uh, you know, to the full uh, reign of Satan and, or the beast. And then, and then post-trib is that we will live through the tribulation. In pan-trib, it'll all pan itself out. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I would say you might have a hard time with Pastor Monty's, I'm going to call it, no offense to you, but I'm going to call it a dated way of describing the tribulation because most people, I, I would say now, talk about the millennial reign of Christ. Pastor Monty, no, no, the millennial reign of Christ is a thousand-year period, which is yes, different than the tribulation. I know, but when we're talking and about eschatology, Pastor, most people Pastor talk Monty about... Pastor is old okay. and dated. Okay, so... And unashamed. And uh, not wanting to listen. So... It's part of being old. What, <laughs> no, it's not. Anyway, so it may, it may, may be hard for people to listen when they're old. <laughs> but anyway... What would what, what, say? Right, exactly. So, anyway... You might have a hard time understanding what's being talked about because Pastor Monty is referring to it tribulation-based. Most people in today's day and age actually refer to it as millennial reign-based. So it would be premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Um, so, and that is referring to in Revelation that a that Christ is going to reign for a thousand years. So postmillennial is saying that the world will be reached for Christ and there's going to be a period in which the whole world will experience joy and peace for a thousand years um, and that Christ will return to earth at the end of that millennium. All millennialism is that there, that the reign is like happening right now in the hearts of men, but Christ has been around for 2000 years, like <laughs> in, in world history. So that's kind of weird. Um, and that basically the second coming marks the end of that period and then um, post-millennial is like basically that. Um, actually, what I described was post-millennial. Pre-millennial. Pre-millennial, yes. Pre-millennial is just, well, there's two basic camps, but um, it's just that stuff, um, stuff is, ha stu that there's dispensations. Essentially, that stuff ha sure, happened just, before yeah, in pieces. Dispensationalism, yes. So some people think that. So the point I'm making is, some people think that this actually happened already, that the tribulation that's described in Revelation, it's called the Great Tribulation in Revelation um, seven. They think that it already happened. Yeah. Gog and Magog, all of that stuff happened. Yeah, it has. Um, my personal thought on that is that it 
has happened and will happen and will continue to happen until the great version of it happens, uh, which is that you have these small versions that are constantly happening as the devil who is not very creative um, continues to try to do the same thing over and over and over again through different countries, through different leaders. and um, For example, like Hitler. Like Hitler, uh, sure. like Antiochus sure. Epiphanes. Yes. This is a this is a guy a uh, 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 Greek I think uh who literally did what was said. He went into the temple and called himself god and like I think put like a boar's head in the temple or something like that. Um and you know did the atrocious things to the Jews. Hitler being another person who did atrocious things to the Jews. Um th- where where the devil tries to you know basically wage war against God's people. Okay, so you can tell from a theological standpoint, and Josh and I both love this stuff because it is theological in discussion, but for the average person, it's a little bit overwhelming um, when you look at all these different things and how do they factor together. The, so here's the thing. We know from Scripture that Christ has said he's going to return. Right. We know that because he said he's going to return. We know that nobody knows the day or the time. Because Christ told us that. Because Christ told us not even he knows the day or the time. He does give us, for example, in Matthew chapter 24, Mm -hmm. he does give us warning to be aware. He, He alludes to the fig tree. And he basically says, you know that it's about to bear fruit when these things start to happen. So what he's saying is is that when things start to happen, you shouldn't just put that off as if it's uh, non-consequential because that's not the case. And, 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 and so then the, the, the fourth thing for the church to be sensitive to is this, is that when you look at the entirety of Scripture um, and you look at what we're, being t- we're, what we're talking about in regard to these things, in in the entirety of the New Testament, only the book of Revelation uh, goes into uh, some idea of what things are going to look like. The rest of the New Testament is made up of instruction to the church for how we are to now live as those that are redeemed by the blood of Christ as disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. In, in, in other words, our, our, our emphasis should be on attaining the holiness which is ascribed to us by the blood of Christ. Be holy for you are holy. Why are we holy? Not because we are holy, but because Jesus Christ in his shed blood has made us holy. But the entirety of the, the New Testament, with the exception of the Gospels, but the, and the synoptic Gospels, but... But, but, but with the exception of that, the entirety of the New Testament is learn to live as those who are set apart to bring glory to Jesus Christ. So... Yeah, to be holy as I am holy. That's correct. So... Which is Leviticus, by the way. So, uh, uh, Yes, a restating of that. Actually, what I'm referring to is found in Peter, First Peter. Right, Peter's restating yes. Leviticus. So, but the, my point is, is that there are people that go off on tangents and they spend their whole life 
living for a tangent. And I guess what, because we are coming up close to an hour now, um, I guess what I would like to say is, is that these tangents are interesting for discussion, but there are a couple of things which should govern how it is that we approach these things. First of all, we need to be clear that much of what has been laid out as how it will happen sequentially uh, is speculation. And clearly it's speculation. Now there are prophecies we can go to, but we've already described various instances where it's speculative in nature. Take that into account. Uh, there's no reason for, you know, Josh and I or the other elders or anybody in the body of Christ to be willing to come to fisticuffs over speculation. Yeah. Because that's not the point. So Matthew 24 does remind us that we're to be aware and that we're to be constantly in that process of learning how to be holy. So when the Lord comes, we will be found to be a holy and righteous people. But that's where our emphasis should be. Well, yeah, and and our righteousness is really dependent upon the hope we have in our salvation and specifically toward the return of Christ. And I think that that is um, that's what Christ is getting at in Matthew 24. I just I want to read. Yes. Read yeah. from Matthew 24. So you have an idea of it. OK, so this is Matthew 24 verse um, three. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when all of these things will happen. Because Christ had just talked about th uh, the temple being destroyed. And he said, tell us when all these things will happen. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So this is pertinent to our discussion. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will mislead many people. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed this is important see right. that you are not alarmed for those things must take place but that's not even the end yet nation will will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom there will be famines earthquakes in various places but all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pains mm -hmm. then after that they will hand you over to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name at that time, many will fall away. They'll betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and mislead many people. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. But the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Mm -hmm. So I know that's not a pretty picture. That's actually, <laughs> that's actually kind of a grim picture. But... The point is, when you see what I would classify as wars and rumors of wars, even, even ones that might fulfill prophecy, that's not the end. And it shouldn't be looked at as the end. Right, right. So, so, the, so the other thing that is, so we need to pray for those people around the world whom we are aware of that are suffering under persecution. And we may think that it's unfair what's happening in Russia, it's unfair what's happening to the Ukrainians, uh, it's unfair um, you know, for, for many of the things that are going on. 
It's unfair that we have corrupt politicians. It's unfair that we have people uh, perpetrating lies upon us in our culture and around the world. All those things are unfair. But guess what? God is sovereign. Our God is alive and he is sovereign and his will will come about. And our security should rest on not what's going on around us because if I were to place my security on what was going on around us, I'd be a nervous wreck. Mm. My security is that God is sovereign and that his will will be done. And so when I pray, I pray for protection, I pray for God's grace, and I pray for his will to be done. Now, more than most, I would say, and fairly so, I'm pretty much more knowledgeable than most people uh, around me about the geopolitical, sociological, theological implications of all the things that are going on. But that is not where my emphasis is in life. My emphasis is that I try to learn to be uh, holy in how that I live so that Christ might be glorified. That's the emphasis we should be relying on. And um, while, while I understand that, um, that you know, these things are going to happen, I understand that the world as we understand it today is going to change by necessity and that God is going to bring about those types of things. Uh, but my direction of looking for what might or might not happen is how it affects it, not, not how it affects me, not how it affects the United States, because the United States is not shown to be any place in Scripture. But you know who, it, who we need to be looking to? Israel. Yeah. We need to be looking to Israel and what's happening in Israel and what's happening surrounding Israel. Yeah. That's, that's the key. We, yeah, we just, I know we're going to wrap here, but we just wanted to take the time to talk with you all about uh, what's going on in Russia. This reminds me of, um, it reminds me of 9-11. You know, do you do you remember uh, there was yeah, a, a little bit? Yeah. No, I mean, it's not our 9-11, you know, but yeah. or it is it. What I'm saying is I remember when 9-11 hit, there's a bunch of people who are, you know, even like people that I'm around constantly now. This is crazy who were born after 9-11. And to them, it's like you're talking about World War Two. <laughs> but like you remember World War Two, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I I. Uh, you know, I remember that, and I remember people in my circle, people who are sincere Christians, who are studying Scripture, who are just like, oh my gosh, Josh, is this the end of the world? You know, and that's what people are saying. They're like, oh man, World War Three, that's going to be the end of the world. No, it's not. The Bible does not describe nuclear war as what is going to end things. Yeah. Now, I mean, we can get into prophecy about wormwood and a third of the Earth's waters and all that sort of stuff. Like, you can... You can read nuclear war maybe into scripture if you want to, but Pastor Monty's right. Look to Israel, look to scripture, and stop looking around and freaking out because there's wars and rumors of wars. That is not the end. That's maybe the beginning, the beginning of the end. The beginning <laughs> of the end. <laughs> but it's not the end. And 
the majority of scripture uh, of the New Testament after Christ came was to reveal how we should live in perilous times. Right. Okay, we're not entitled to, and, and I'm sorry to say this about the Ukraine. Um, I know they have a democratic government, um, but you know that's what's a contention not really but okay more democratic than russia yes that's right. um but uh they're not entitled to living in the freedoms of uh that's that uh per like a progressive understanding of scripture brought to say the u.s and we're not entitled to it either no in fact it's being depleted that's right and even the, as we talk and i just want to point out that the church itself was cultivated and flourished and grown in an oppressive environment. We are not entitled to that. We thank the Lord that we have the option to live in that and we should use it, but we're not entitled to that. So when we look at these things and we say it's the beginning of the end or it is the end and like, oh no, we're going to be persecuted. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, that's exactly right. But this does not represent that, not explicitly anyway. So there's no, and, and, and again, even if that happens, we are not without a light. That's the thing. We're not without a light. Like, Scripture teaches us how to live in perilous times. It was written in a time of extreme oppression. So there's no need for us to freak out. This does not represent what is taught in Revelation. Not yet, anyway. No. And, um, yeah. So final thoughts, Pastor Monty, and we can close. Well, my final thoughts are this, is that um, from a... From a geopolitical standpoint, it is fascinating to watch what's going on. And from what I understand about what Scripture talks to us about um, in regard to the return of Christ, I believe that we're beginning to see some foundational things begin to happen for that return. Hot take. Uh, but what are we thinking in terms of decades, years? You'll be long dead. What do you I, think? My guess would be decades. Yeah. And unless unless some things change, um, my sense is probably decades, uh, if if that. Um, that being said, that being said, uh, we don't know when the Lord is going to return. Scripture says He's waiting. We do know. <laughs> yeah, we do know that we are called to be a holy, righteous people. Right. While we wait. Right now. Right now. And that's where our emphasis needs to be. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're not going to do a normal closing or anything like that um, because this is not a normal episode. There you go. So just keep in mind our normal scheduled programming for Truth Time is on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. However, we're not going to have a Truth Time this week. Uh, I am going to go on vacation and Pastor Monty's going to take his own vacation from truth time <laughs> for one day for one day. So anyway, uh, but yeah, keep things in prayer and you know how to support us and uh, cue the disclaimer. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance.